Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Buddy Walls. We're going to be talking in the Bible today about in the beginning. We'll, we'll be starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You know, I don't concern myself whether it's billions of years or if it's thousands. It does not matter if you are a young earther or an old earther. I say it really doesn't make that much difference, but what does make a difference is who started it all. God. I will always say the Bible and science is in total agreement. And Ezekiel 28 will explain a lot about how it was in the beginning. So, in the beginning, whenever it was, because no one knows, God started it all. Here we have the term of deity, Spelled G-O-D in our English, but in the Hebrew it was Elohim. And Elohim in the Hebrew is a plural word. If you have a text in your Old Testament that refers to the pagan gods, plural, it's the same Hebrew word only uh, without the capitalization. It's a small e in Elohim. And so it's the triune God of a plurality of persons. I'm a stickler in that. I am a firm believer in the Trinity or the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now always remember that none of them supersede or are above one of the others. They are co-equal. And we see this teaching throughout all of Scripture. Now in the beginning, whenever it was, God... The triune Godhead created. Now again, the word in the Hebrew is bara, B-A-R-A-H, which means called out of nothing. I think this is so important. God didn't start with something and then somehow rearrange it. He started with absolutely nothing but himself. And out of that nothingness, he called the universe into being. Now, when we get into the New Testament here in a little bit, I'm going to show you what person of the Godhead actually spoke the word and called it into being. But for here, as the triune God spoke the word and out of nothing, he created everything, the heavens as well as the earth. Now, I think it's rather interesting that way back here in the very first verse of Genesis before the nation of Israel has even been hinted at, and before we have any idea of the call of this man Abraham, that God has already given a clue that throughout all of his dealings with you and I as members of the human race, he's going to constantly divide things between heaven and earth. Now, why would he do this? In Genesis chapter 12, as soon as Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, God separated him from that mainstream of humanity and promises that out of that one man will come a distinctive race, a nation of people, the nation of Israel. But here's what makes them distinctive. From the very onset of the promise to Abraham until the nation is finally dispersed, after they rejected their king, Israel, had it constantly drummed into their mindset that they were special, called out, a separated and covenant people of God. And all their promises are earthly. 
And so we refer to them as God's earthly people. The last time I taught this, someone misunderstood me and when I said that there is nothing in the Old Testament pertaining to a Jew dying and going to heaven, well, what I really meant was concerning his eternal abode. Now, we know that when an Old Testament saint dies, he went to paradise. He certainly didn't stay on the earth. And even today, when a Jew dies, he goes to his place of reward. If he's a believer, he goes to paradise. But what I have in mind when I say that the Jew who had no concept of dying and going to heaven, I meant in their resurrected state. When the Jews experience their resurrection as believers, they will not be a heavenly people. They are going to be an earthly people in that earthly thousand-year kingdom that is still future. And so consequently, even in their life in the flesh, all of Israel's promises were earthly. And that's why so many of them had such tremendous wealth. Abraham was a wealthy man. Isaac was wealthy for his time. Jacob was wealthy. David, glory of all his kingdom, included wealth. You know Solomon and my queen, the queen of Sheba, saw it. The first thing she said was, the half has never yet been told. Well, why? Because those Jewish people were enjoying those earthly promises. Now, when we get over to the letters of Paul and the outcalling, and God now calls out of the mainstream of humanity, the body of Christ, the church, a mixture of predominantly Gentiles, but also Jews. Now we have a group of people to whom all the promises are not earthly, but what? Heavenly. Everything that is promised to the church is not earthly, it is heavenly. And our future is going to be uh, ruled in the heavenlies. Well, this is immediately what I want people to recognize that as you study your Bible. You have to separate these two entities in God's dealings. When you separate completely the nation of Israel, even in the New Testament, from the church, the body of Christ, then all the contradictions disappear. All of the major questions disappear, and everything becomes so sensible. But the Bible is a sensitive book, and it makes sense if you simply keep these two areas, the nation of Israel and the body of Christ, the church, separated. It all makes sense. So in the beginning, the triune, the almighty God, called out of nothing everything, the heavens, the angelic host, the earth, everything that's in it all began with our Creator. Now let's take a look at how the New Testament treats this very same event as we have here in Genesis. I'd like to have you turn now with me to John's Gospel, Chapter 1. John's Gospel, Chapter 1. All these writers are inspired of the Holy Spirit. They are moved of God to write what they write. And so now, naturally, John, as he speaks of the beginning, is going to use the same language that Moses did. I feel Moses wrote the first five books. And so John's Gospel, Chapter 1 and Verse 1 says, In the beginning, he doesn't say 20 million years ago, he doesn't say 10,000 years ago. All John says is in the beginning. Just as Genesis says. But in the beginning, according to John, was the word. It is capitalized. 
So it is a term of deity. John chapter 1 verse 1. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning was the Word, a person of that triune Godhead, and this person, the Word, was without, was with God, that is, from eternity past, whenever that was, and the Word was God. Now we know we have some cults that disagree with me, and they try to tell me that Jesus was not God. Well, that flies in the face of the book. Jesus was just as much God as God the Father or God the Spirit. And we're going to see why I say that here in just a few moments. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In other words, the triune Godhead was complete. And they were in absolute consensus with what they were going to do. Now look at verse 3. John chapter 1 verse 3. The Bible says all things were made by him. By whom? The word. Now you know I'm a stickler for grammar because after all, the whole idea of language is to communicate. And that is what the word W-O-R-D implies. There had to be a person of the Godhead who would communicate with whatever it was It was that they're going to call creation out of. Now, personally, I think it was God himself. But now, that's not unusual. God talks to himself. Every once in a while, we might talk to ourselves. I mentioned the fact that one time that Martin Luther just had a real hang-up with Christ's statements from the cross when he seemingly spoke to God. And Martin Luther came to the conclusion that it was God speaking to God. Absolutely it was. And so the Word was the communicator. He was the one who spoke the power of creation. When we get to Hebrews in a little bit, I'm going to show you that it was the Word, the Son of God, Christ, who has spoken in this book. This is the word of the very person of the Godhead, who is a communicator, which is God the Son. Now, if you doubt that this is speaking about God the Son, come down to verse 14, and there is a clincher. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, you know God the Father of God, or God the Spirit never became flesh, so who was it? Well, it's God the Son. It's Christ. And the Bible says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let's move on quickly to Colossians, which is uh, well into Paul's writings. Let's go to chapter 1, and here we find a tremendous little portion of Scripture. Remember, we're fitting this all back with Genesis 1.1. Now let's look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. And we almost have to come down to verse 12. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. The Bible says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who, speaking of the Father, here's where grammar comes in, who 
is modifying the word Father, hath delivered us from the powers of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now in verse 14, the modification is going to change. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom, that's talking about the Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who, speaking of the Son, is the image that which you can see and touch of the what? Invisible God. Remember, the triune God is the Spirit. He's invisible, and the Bible says the firstborn of every creature. Now let's look at verse 16 and, and, and tying it in with Genesis 1.1. For by him, in other words, the Son, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Yes, Satan himself is a created being. He was created by God the Son. Now, not only did he create all things, but they were created by him and for him. And then you come down to verse 17. And not only is he before all things, not only is he the creator of all things, but Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says this, by him all things consist. And what does that word mean? Held together. Why doesn't the universe just explode in a big ball of nuclear fission? Why don't the planets act like an atom and split one another into tremendous energy and explosion? And I think someday they will, according to Peter. Well, why don't they today? Because God the Son controls every particle of it with the power of his word. Now let's come back with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and look at what the Apostle Paul said here. Let's drop down in verse 9. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God, that's talking about the same God of Genesis 1.1, who created all things by whom? By Jesus Christ. Now isn't that something? Have you ever stopped to realize that the people who nailed Christ to the cross and set him up as a public spectacle were the created being of the Creator that they were crucifying? It was the created beings crucifying their Creator. I hope you never lose sight of that fact. I know when I have to think of my own salvation, I just have to thank God that here he is, the sovereign, totally God of the universe, and yet it's the same God that died the death that I should have died. It's the same God that rose from the dead and extended ex external life, eternal life, to all that would believe. And you can't separate that from him. He is and was the creator. Now, let's go to another book in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. For the sake of tying in what I said a moment ago with, with regard to every word of this book, how it came to us. Yes, the Holy Spirit inspired it, but it's the word of God, the Son. 
And the Apostle Paul over and over says, I hear him speaking to me. Who? Jesus. Now look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Hebrews 1 1. It says, God, that's the triune God of Genesis 1 1. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who at sundry times and even in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers, that is the forefathers of Israel in the Old Testament, by the prophets, but they don't stop there because this same God, it says, hath in these last days. What are the last days of Scripture? Everything from Christ's advent on. A lot of people think that the last days are just like the tribulation and the second coming. No, that's the latter days. The last days is that whole period of time from his first advent to the end of the age of grace. So in these last days, from the time of his first advent, this same God hath already done what according to Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. Spoken unto his and to us by his Son, whom he, in other words God, hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now isn't that plain English? And isn't that beautiful? Let's go back to the book of Acts chapter 2 for a moment and look at that passage. It's a perfect example of how everything is under the sovereignty of God without seemingly taking away the free will of mankind and nations. Yet everything comes to pass as he originally foreordained it. Nothing ever takes God by surprise, or is he ever a day late. You know, many times that is uh, that if there is a period of human history where the that truth is so evident that God is sovereign and yet he lets generals and presidents and dictators seemingly make decisions of their own free will. Yet the sovereign God, yet the sovereign will of God shines through. There is no greater time where that is so evident than in World War II. All you have to do is go back and look at the history of World War II and how many times things just all of a sudden fell into place or just at the right time. It's absolutely amazing. Well, here's where it all began in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. This is where Peter is addressing the nation of Israel with regard of them having crucified the Christ. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, and wonders and signs which God did by him, in other words, Jesus, in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him, in other words, Jesus from Nazareth, being delivered by the determinate counsel, I think in at least my own thinking, and I never want to do violence to the translation here, but I think in my own English I would use the word determining counsel. You all know what is a council. It is a meeting of minds. In other words, when our president calls a cabinet meeting, what is the purpose? For council. They're not going to make a decision until there's a meeting of the minds. At least we certainly hope that's the way it works. 
that's uh, exactly what the triune God did some someplace way back in eternity past. Now, I don't think they had to sit there all afternoon between the three of them and bat it back and forth. No, no, no. Uh, but nevertheless, the triune God uh, did something in the past, came together before anything was ever created. And what did they do? They laid out the, this whole plan of the ages. And in that plan of the ages was the coming of Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel. In that plan of the ages was the nation rejected of their king. And in that plan of ages was the crucifixion, was the resurrection, was the ascension, and every little jot and tittle of detail was all formulated way back there in this predetermining council before anything ever began to happen. Now in the moment or two we have left, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and just look at it once again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning, whenever that was, God, the triune God, in all of his power and sovereignty, delegated to the Son to call it into being, created the heaven and the earth. So the Son spoke the word, and the universe began to come together. He spoke the word with the angelic host were created. He spoke the word to the dust, and Adam appeared. He put Adam to sleep, and he spoke the word, and who came on the scene? Eve. And so it is, all the creative acts of God, it's God the Son, yes, the same one that hung there on the cross of Calvary, that spoke the words of creation, and everything began to happen. Now, for just a little review of what we have already learned today, Everything in God's dealings and the, with the human race you have to separate between him dealing with the nation of Israel, his earthly people, and the church to which is his heavenly people. And as you study your Bible, remember that God primarily deals with Israel, the Jews from Abraham to the writings of Paul. But when you come from the letters of Paul, he speaks primarily to the non-Jew or the Gentile. And he addresses us today in the church in the church age. When you read Romans through Hebrews, you read that as if God had written it to you with your name and address on it. But when you read the Old Testament, don't try to put that into your life today because that was written to and given to the nation of Israel. We can use it for our learning, but not for our doctrine. Now, I want to finish up here and ask you one question. I always try to do this at the end of my podcast. Are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? If you're 35%, 50%, 75%, or even 99% sure that you're going to heaven, I've got some sad news. You're not going to make it. God wants you to know 100% for sure that you're going to heaven. He actually says that in First uh, John chapter 5, verse 13 that you may know that you have eternal life. But before you can uh, become what the Bible calls saved or born again, you have to first recognize that you're a sinner. The Bible says we all fall short, and that means all. You have to first recognize that you're a sinner, and then you have to repent of that sin. That means give it up. That means 
forsake that sin or give it up, go another direction. You can repent a thousand times. It won't do you one bit of good until you actually give up that sin, go another direction. After you do that, then you have to believe in the finished work of the cross. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth in the flesh and that he was crucified, that he died, then he went to the grave, and three days later he rose from that grave to sit at the right hand of the Father to intercede for you and I. That's what he's doing today. He's our intercessor. And when you believe that with all your heart, mind, and soul, the Bible says you shall be saved. Don't say you might be. It says you shall be saved. And so that's how you gain eternal life. I hope you enjoyed this, and until next time down the road, catch you later.